in a series called The Life of Impact. And basically what we're talking about is that God has created us all with this potential. And I, I put a, um, uh, that's kind of our image, that there's this unburnt match. The other ones have, have flamed out, but this one is still un, unburnt. It's there. It's got all the potential that a match has. And if you notice, um, the projector isn't too bright because it's our old projector. Our, our, our other one's in, at the shop. But, um, so hopefully you can see it. But there's this unburnt match. And, 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 and essentially the idea is that God has created you with unique strengths, with unique uh, spiritual gifts, with unique experiences, and he's placed you in a unique location. You are the only one who's you in your family, and you're the only family on your block that's like you, and you're the only person like you at your place of work. God has strategically placed you in a spot in life. And you have the potential to have a huge impact where you are. You say, well, I don't know. I'm not, you know, Steve Jobs. I'm not this or that. That is not the way God has designed you. And so you're going to have an impact that looks different than the impact that I have. And our job isn't to compare each other's impact. Our job is to be ready to be struck by God, to be set ablaze and to be used by him. And so that's why we use the, the, uh, the unburnt match thing. And that's what we were talking about last week. Last week was kind of an introduction. And we were basically saying that we can't impact others until we've allowed God to impact us. And so what we're going to look at is a section of scripture, one of the most famous sections of scripture in the, in the Bible. And uh, as a matter of fact, a, a lot of other verses reference this verse. As a, and, and Jesus referenced this verse. And Jesus referenced it twice when he was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? It's not one of the Ten Commandments. This is the, the, the crux of who we are as humans and why we worship a God that we worship. Why are we here? Why, why do we come to church? Why are we located in the family we're located in? Why do we have the job we have? What, what impact am I supposed to have? That's what this verse talks about. And what we're going to see this morning is just a, hopefully, if I can do my job right, just the beautiful way God wants to use you in whatever capacity you're, you're in. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and um, that's where we'll start. We'll end in verse 9. But basically, someone came up to Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment? You know, you got, you got a whole bunch of them in there. And Jesus says this, and it's, it's found here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, it's really important for us to stop right there. Because we can talk about worshiping God. We can talk about going to church. We can talk about being a Christian. We can talk about becoming a member of the church. But unless it's for God, unless we understand who we serve and what he's like, that he's all powerful, all knowing, that he loves us, that he's got a plan, that he set this thing into motion and he's actively involved in our lives. The Lord, our God, is one God. He's God, the only God. There is no other. As a matter of fact, um, Matthew Henry, he's a commentator. He says, it's better to have one fountain than a thousand cisterns. 
It's better to have one God who's, who's flowing through you and supplying all your needs than all these things that we have that we can draw from our finances and, you know, uh, 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 relationships and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's better to have one God, the fountain of life, the meaning and purpose in life, that a God who's just flowing through us than to have a thousand cisterns that we can run to whenever we want. I just love that quote. So he says, the Lord your God uh, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I'll bet if I asked, I, oh, this is a rhetorical question, so you don't need to raise your hand. If I asked who's ever heard that before, you'd probably all raise your hands. It's a very, very famous section of scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, it's really weird that this scripture would be smack in the middle of Deuteronomy, which is relatively boring. The statutes surrounding this in the Pentateuch aren't like the greatest reading in the world. It's usually where, and we talked about this when David said, I delight in your statutes. He was talking about the boring part of the Bible. And so it's like, it's like, in, in the middle of all this, God is saying, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. I want this to be a relationship that is dynamic, that's wholehearted, that's filled with passion. This is what God wants from us. He wants our heart. He wants us. He wants him to be the filter by which we make all our decisions. He wants that one God himself to be the reason why we say the things we do, the th reason why we purchase the things we purchase, the reason why we deny ourselves some of the things we deny ourselves. He is it. He is worth it all. He knows he's worth it all. And so he makes this command, love me with everything you have. That's his expectation. And because he's a loving God, he knows this is life. We are created in his image. This is what we're supposed to do. If you're new here, you, there was something that drew you here as Alex was talking about. There's something that you just say, man, there's gotta be more. And we look at life and, and we know this, right? We can see anyone who has a billion dollars. We can see anyone who has, at the end, what, what, what's it all for? But a relationship with our heavenly father who created us and loves us. So that's, that's, that's where he is right now. He says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your uh, soul and with all your strength. Now, now watch, this is so great. He goes on, he says, these commandments that I give you today, and you can read all about them in the first five books of the Bible, but in particular in Deuteronomy here. These commandments I give today are to be upon your hearts. I'm so glad it says it that way. See, here, here's, here's God's desire for us. God's desire is that we would take his word. And some of the things in here are hard, okay? Some of the things in here are not fun, but I don't want to do them. I don't, some of the things in here, I don't even understand why they're in here, to be honest. I would have written it a little different had I written the Bible. I would have let myself off the hook on a few things a little more. But God knows. And he says, here's what, I, here's what I want you to do with the commandments. I want you to obey them. Sure. I want you to follow each one. I want you, I want you to go by the letter. Also. But I want it to change your heart. Because God knows that when we 
allow ourselves to be impacted by his word. Now, now when this was written, there was only the first five books of the Bible, but God has since allowed, I mean, we are in such a great time in human history because we've had Jesus come who fulfilled all those uh, prophecies and he's the Messiah. We no longer need a sacrificial system. Thank goodness. I mean, if I had to bring a lamb in here and, or no, you'd be bringing the lamb and I'd have to slaughter it and, I like lambs with a little mint jelly. You know, actually, no, okay. Right? I mean, this system's done. And so the whole New Testament is in light of the Messiah. And we get to experience this. And so what God is saying is, listen, this word of God I have, this statute I have, let, let it really be on your hearts. Don't just know it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just say you should. Don't just do that. Let it affect you. Let it be the filter by which you live your life. That's what God is saying here in Deuteronomy. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. Here's what's so amazing about this. Because we're talking about having a life of impact. If I know God, and I love him with all my heart, soul, and strength, like if that's the standard, and I look at his word and I say, God, this is, this is the filter by which I'm going to live my life. I know I'm not supposed to, I, I want to say an unwholesome word, but your Bible says not to let any unwholesome word come out of my mouth except that which is good for edification. So I'll edify right now, even when I just want to do a verbal smackdown. Okay, I'm going to make it part of who I am. Now, when I do that, when I, when I live my life that way, to the extent I can, is when I have the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. See, when I allow myself to go through the hard stuff, when I allow myself to just go, I don't want to, but I'm going to do it anyway. And if, believe me, I, I'm not standing up here saying I do it all the time. I'm just saying when I do, it allows God's spirit to flow through me in a way that has the greatest impact on those around me. Now, here's the kicker. There's a, there's a verse that comes right after this. See, something's supposed to happen when, I, when I, 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 I know that God is one. I know he's, he's my supreme authority. I know he wants to have a relationship with me. I know he's given me statutes that are for my own good that help with that relationship. And when I've gotten that and when I put it on my heart, there's a command right after this that is so powerful and so daunting and so, ugh, really? It says this. Impress them upon your children. See, it doesn't say go out and change the world. It doesn't say go start a ministry. It doesn't say uh, quit your job and become a pastor. It doesn't say, uh, you know, give all your money to the poor. It doesn't say any of that. It says, impress them upon your children. And that word impress is a rich, rich word. It's, it's to sharpen, to wet, W-H-E-T. It's as though you take this raw material of a child and you begin to just sharpen it, just going over it and over it and over it. It's, it, it, it's, it's to bring to an edge. See, when God has so changed my heart, my number one job is to impress it upon my children beyond anything else. I can fail as a pastor. I can do whatever. I can go. I can quit my job and 
whatever, it doesn't matter. My number one ministry, if this church becomes 10 billion people, my number one ministry is to my children, is to impress this upon my children. We, we call it passing the baton. When I was in high school, I was on the track team. And before you think I'm bragging, our school had, I think, three people in it. So um, I was homeschooled. No, uh, we, we, it was just, uh, I, we, I went to a very, very small school. And so, you know, everybody made the track team. Everybody made the football team. You know, everybody made, you know, every team I was on, everybody pretty much made it. So I was on the track team and we were on the four by, well, on, in those days, they called it the 440 because they did it in yards. Now they do it in meters. Um, but it, it was the 4 by f- 440. And um, basically, you run one time around the track, and then you pass the baton to someone else. We, have you seen this in the Olympics, right? Now, that, tra- that section of track where you pass the baton, that's where the race is won or lost on. It's the transition that wins the race. And any good coach will tell you, that's it. As a matter of fact, there are coaches that just coach the transition. All they do is sit with each runner. And you run and you go, stick. Right? Remember, you ever know that? In my day, it actually was a stick. It was actually a stick. No. Uh, it, now it's a aluminum. No. <laughs> Sorry. That's aluminum pipe. Anyway, uh, so you say stick and you go. And the idea, the idea in the transition, in this passing off of the baton, is that the runner, the, the, the runner who's handing off is in full stride. They're just about to, I can't hardly take one more step. And the other runner has built up enough speed to where it's almost seamless. And if you watch the Olympics and you watch them in the four by 100, you watch them, they just go, and it's, if you could just watch the baton, it's like it never slows down. That, their transitions are so sharp. In 2008, I don't know if you remember at Beijing, both our men and women's 4x400 dropped the baton. When you drop the baton, you're not disqualified. If the baton you know, flings off and hits another runner in the head, then you're disqualified. But if you just drop it, you're not disqualified. So you can get up and start running, but you're not going to win. <laughs> There's no chance of winning. You've dropped the baton. Here's what the word of God is saying. Listen, when you've trained, when you got got it, when when, when my statutes are on your heart, get this transition down. Don't drop the baton because it takes so much effort to get back into the race into where you're competing again. Don't drop the baton. And see, the, I, sometimes in churches, what happens is a, a generation will come and they'll be running church and running church and running church and running church. And the next generation will come and they're like, what are we going to do? What are we what are we going to do? And oh, don't worry, don't worry. And finally, the generation that's running the church finally is on their knees, practically d- dead. And they hit st- stick, you know, and it's like, here you go. You take it from here. I'm wore out. And they go, finally. When we pass the baton onto the next generation, it's not supposed to be a finally. It's supposed to be while this generation is in full stride, we go, go. And you know what else you do? When you, when you pass off that baton, you start screaming your lungs out. 
go get them, big boy, or whatever you want to say to encourage them. There ain't nobody faster than you, you know, and you're going, you're, go, you're just encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. This is our job. It's not just to teach these kids. It's not just to teach our youth. It's to be invested in their lives. It's to sharpen them, impress them, be right there just going, no, 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 that's not, here's why. Now watch, this is the most encouraging. So that's kind of the burden that's been placed upon us. And this happens in the, this is, this is for the home, okay? I'm not talking about children's ministry here. That, well, I'll get to that. But this starts in our home. Children's ministry is designed to help parents raise their children, not raise their children, okay? It says, so uh, we put an edge on. Um, now watch, this is so cool because the scripture, it didn't just say impress them upon your children and then go live them out. It starts going, here's what I'm talking about. When I talk about impressing them upon your children, here's what I'm saying. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. See, already it's starting to, that's great, thank you. Already it's starting to give an idea of what we're talking about. Well, how do, how do I impress it upon my children? Do I just give them a Bible and put their name on it and go, hey, see, I hope you have a good time in youth group. No, it says, talk about it. What, what are you going through? What, what's happening in your spiritual life? See, I think we've bought into a lie, parents, that we have to have it all together before we can talk to our kids. The enemy will tell you that. I don't talk, you just yelled at your wife and they heard it and they know what you're like. They know your problems are. Talk about it. And listen, when it says, when you sit at home, you're kicking back at the dinner table, you're watching a TV, you're just, you're just sitting around. I don't know if it's, if it's like, well, we'll get to this, but um, just when you sit at home, all the different things that happen at home. There's all different types of things for interacting. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is actively moving in your house, giving you opportunity, putting things in your mind. Hey, you should bring this up. Okay, when you sit down, when you, when you, uh, when you walk along the road, on the way to soccer practice, on the way you drive to school, when you go shopping, all these different times are times to talk about what God is doing, wh- why we follow his scriptures, what, what happened at the time when you didn't follow his scriptures and the repercussions of that and how, you, how difficult is it to follow some of these things and what are you working on? And I, we, we just talk about it. In the normal co- course of the day, text. You can text your daughter. Text your son. I love you. I'm praying for you that God, you would sense God's mercy on you today, that God would open your mind while you're at school, unless they're not allowed to text at school. Of course, then if they, okay, forget it. All right, okay, it goes on. When you lie down and when you get up. That was just my phone that I didn't turn off. That was awesome. Okay, it's Zeke. Sorry, didn't check my phone. Let you know what's up. I've texted him this morning, right? When you text or receive a text, right? And don't turn off your phone like a moron, okay? All right, so when you lie down and when you get up, this is essentially what this saying is, start your day and end your day with the filter of Scripture. Start your day and end your day with the filter of Scripture. When I start my day, listen, listen, this is so important because this comes right to the heart of who I am. When I wake up in the morning, the hard drive, spins up and there ain't nothing stopping it. 
I woke up at 4.15 this morning. My hard drive booted up, and I don't have a sleep mode. So I'm like, okay, here we go. Now, if I start my day worried about how my day is going to turn out, that's not starting my day through the filter of Scripture. I'm talking to me right now. Oftentimes, I'll wake up and I'll go, okay, we got to get that done because I had to go okay enough. Oh, you know what? I forgot to call so-and-so. God, yeah. That's not the filter of Scripture. Now, am, is that impressing something upon my, my kids? When I'm like, hey, go, hurry up and get ready. We got to get ready. We got to go to this. Gotta get. That's not impressing the filter of Scripture upon my, my kids. When I, get, when I go to bed, when I go to bed, what's going on? How, how's the frame? How's the, 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 the sense of the home? You see this? See, when God's word begins to impact us, it begins to start taking over everything. It impacts everything. It's like the, it's like the, the, the match. Once it gets lit and a house begins to start to get this identity that we're working together as a family in, 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 in working out our salvation in fear and trembling, it's fantastic. Now watch this. Now comes the next verse, one of my favorites. Because this opens up creativity like you've never seen. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now we're talking, them, 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 we're talking about God's statutes, his word. Now, here's what happened. The Pharisees, a few hundred years later, did this. We, we know this. The, it's called phylacteries, right? And they, it's a box that they put on their forehead and a box they put on their hands. Just like it said, they opened the Bible and they went, Oh, we're supposed to bu- tie them as symbols on our hands. So let's make a box. And Now, listen, unless you're an idiot, if you read this, is that the conclusion you'd come to? I mean, would you read this and go, oh, tie them as symbols on our hands. Oh, okay. Honey, get a box. I'm going to tie it. No, you know that this is a figure of speech. And any, any Jewish person knew this. The hands represented what you did, and the forefront of your head represent how you, represents how you think. And so he's saying, everything you do and everything you think about, make it through the filter of these statutes. Impress, that's another way you impress this upon your children. Now this, think of the creativity that is open to us as parents. If we have this thing of like, we can do anything and think anything that we can come up with anything to help our kids understand. Wendy Ellis, who attends church here, has been a long-time member of our church. She did one thing where she took some eggs, and she let the eggs sit out. Like, like you know, you do scrambled eggs, and then you, she let the eggs sit out for like three days, like after they'd been served up the pan. And you can t- tell her the story. This is just how I remember it. She's like, it wasn't three days. It was, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, this is how I remember it. And she let them sit there. And then she took the kids and she showed them how hard it is to get the egg off of the pan when it's just been sitting, crusting that, like that. She said, this is what it's like when we don't take care of our sin. As it begins to harden and it begins, what happens is the word of God calls this a hardening of our heart. And when, when, when we have fresh eggs <laughs> that we serve up, you can just wipe down the pan. You can just spray it down, Right? If we take care of our sin right away, if we go, Lord, I blew it. I, you know, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that anymore. We turn and we confess our sin and turn. It's easy. When we let it sit there, our hearts harden. Now, see, that is creative. Now, imagine if I go to Wendy, I'm like, I didn't see that on your frontal of your forehead or on, or tied on your hand. It's a la- it, that's not what it's saying. It opens up this creativity. 
Now imagine if we go home as parents and we say, man, they're all around us. These examples are all around us. It's awesome. Goes on again, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What this is talking about is make what's inside the house, what you're declaring inside the house, the same thing that you're declaring outside the house. Some of us are real good at, at proclaiming Jesus inside the house, but on our gates, eh, not so much. We don't want to cause any offense. Or we, some of us are really great at proclaiming it outside, but inside the house, it looks like a different story. Right? We all have sections of our lives that are like this. You know, None of us are perfect. But basically what God's saying here is, listen, take this life change that's going to happen in your home and post it on your gates outside. And if you're willing to proclaim yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, make it have an impact in your home. This is how we impress it upon our children. This is how we impact the next generation. Here's the thing. When you look back at that list, look at the frequency of that. I mean, it basically if we're honest, doesn't it just say all the time? <laughs> really? I mean, it, that's basically what it says, right? I don't have to tie anything on my head. I, it just says, listen, take every single opportunity that God puts in your way to impress this upon your children. Don't blow the transition. Now, so, some of you right now are going, yeah, I, I know two verses <laughs> in the Bible. I'm here to try and learn. You're in a great spot. Bring them with you. Tell them, I don't like this verse. It's okay to tell them that, okay? You're not doing, you just say, I don't like this verse, but I, I know it's true, and how, how, how would we follow it? How would we do this in our home? Guys, what do you think? What would this look like in our home? You would be shocked at the brilliance. Well, you're not, wouldn't be shocked, because you know your kids are brilliant anyway. You just, all of a sudden, you'll see your kids coming up with fantastic ideas. Why? Because they're running in the race too, right? This is, this is why we appeal so much to adults to work with the children and to work with the youth and to work uh, in junior high and high school. It's not a begging, oh, we're, everything. So you get to do this. You get to impact the next generation, you get to make a difference in a fifth grader's life. And it would be wonderful if we were all families, uh, husband and wife, and, you know, we look like the Cleavers? The Cleavers? Cleavers? Leave it to Beaver? His name is Beaver Cleaver? <laughs> That's so sad. Okay. Anyway. We're all not like that. So some of us are single parents. Some of us, uh, some kids are here and their parents don't even believe in God. That's why we need, we need, to, we need to get up and do something about that. Now watch, we'll, we'll, we'll go. Oh, I got to tell you this other thing my sister did. It's so cool. I was going to try and pull it off here, but I didn't have time. She was talking to some junior high girls and she was talking about this verse about what happens when you're beautiful, but you lack discretion. And the Bible gives a, a really clear picture. If, if you're a beautiful woman, but you lack discretion, the Bible talks about you, okay? And, and it's really clear. And so what my sister did was, 
Well, here's what it says. It says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So you have this beautiful woman and yet she shows no discretion. It's like, what a waste. What a waste that, that she would lack discretion. That she wouldn't glorify God with, her, with how God created her. So what my sister did is she took a, a pig's head. Um, yeah, I love my sister. And um, she put it on a table and she put, a, she put a, 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 sh- a sheet over it. And she was talking to the junior high girls and she goes, come here, I want to show you something. <laughs> okay. And she goes, you know, she goes, the, Bi- the Bible talks about you. And so I want to show you what he says. And she pulls it back and they all go, ew! You know, right? Yes, what you expect. She had a gold ring in the pig's snout and the whole thing. She says, did you see your reaction? Yeah, yeah, why? Oh, that's gross. Oh, man. Be very careful. That's what she does. I mean, she's just brilliant, right? Those girls never forgot that. That's creative. That's tying it on your hand or put it on your forehead or figuring out some way to do it. Now, look, you might say, I'm not creative. I'm not, I'm, I don't know what to say. It goes on. We're going to, the worship band comes up. I want to show you what it says. Watch this. In the future, not, not now, but in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Keep it there. Uh, in the future, okay, so, so in other words, it's going to happen, right? Your kids are going to question your faith. They're going to question, why do we do this? I talked to so-and-so. He's a Buddhist. I don't know why. How can we do this? I'm, don't show the next verse because I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, freak out and go, don't you ever talk to me like that again, okay? <laughs> right? Of course, it doesn't say that. When your son asks you this, because it's going to happen, the Bible gives us a thing. Okay, don't show it yet because here's what it says. It says, when it happens, you better have gotten that Bible memorized or you're going down. Okay, that's not what it says. Watch. When this happens, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand before our eyes. The Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. Keep going. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised as an oath to our forefathers. Listen, listen. He says, just share your testimony. Share what God's done. Why should I follow these statues? Because I'm going to tell you, I, I once was trapped. I was dead in my sin and God rescued me. And it goes on, talks about the statutes. Watch. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. God created us for a purpose and he's given us a word that we're to follow. And it's up to us. We have to pass the baton on to the next generation. That's why you will see as time goes on here at Living Spring, more and more youth will be on stage. More and more youth will be involved because we can't expect them to lead if we haven't taught them how to to lead. 